You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast on basketball and other shenanigans. Danny Green, I'm mad at Danny Green. I just want to thank everybody that's been in my corner during this time. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, man. I'm the clamp guy. I am the Giannis Antetokounmpo of Lion Center. Eddie Sun. Probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> we don't got that clutch connection. And Julio Martinez. On uh, Giannis and the Bucks, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. Please clap. It comes from at underscore underscore uh, KLU2 on Twitter. Bro, the fact that you knew there were two underscores before the to at underscore underscore KLU. He knows your that, Twitter. That means I'm tweeting it too much. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball. Welcome back to another wonderful episode of Hoop and Holler. I'm your host, Reagan Griffin, and as always, I'm joined by Eddie Sun to my left and Julio Martinez directly in front of me through a computer screen. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, you know, school's starting to really, really drag, and, you know, just trying to get that over with. Uh, Reagan and I recently went to the park or some school to play basketball, and... You gonna hear me out like that? That, that was one of the highlights of my week. I'm glad I could give you a highlight of your week, because we got some, <laughs> we actually got some highlights put together did i post it on twitter i posted that on twitter you put on your personal um yeah we didn't post it on the square one hoops but uh those highlights didn't tell the whole story did it because I, I think i showed like two buckets of mine and two buckets of yours but you know you got a lot more buckets on me that day than uh than i did on you let's just put it that way but that last game i was winning before we had to dip so we don't know what would have happened it was what six three i was tired though all i know uh, is in that video Julio, you were guarding like Minnesota Andrew Wiggins, bro. Yeah, you were bro. not guarding me at all, bro. Nah, I was guarding like uh, first year LeBron James on the Lakers defense. Yeah, I was <laughs> I, not playing defense. I went back and I peeped that. I was like, bro, this man's not guarding me, bro. Like we got, <laughs> I, I, we'll have to run it back and get some real deal footage because I felt good about myself after the fact, and I was like, yo, this man's like on his knees right now, not defending me. Um, <laughs> But we got a lot of good stuff to cover today. We got Mo- Daryl Morey signed with the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and talk about Steven Silas, former assistant for the Dallas Mavericks, now head coach of the Houston Rockets. Gentlemen, another black man's been hired. That's gonna toot- I'm going to toot my horn on that one. Not my horn, but black America's horn, whatever. Um, but how are we feeling about that, uh, that signing, that move for Houston? Um, um, I, I just don't know enough about him. Uh, so, I mean, I, I know he's under Rick Carlisle and, you know, I feel like GMs always, uh, they, they, they kind of like, you know, if, if they pluck somebody out of Belichick's tree or Popovich's tree or, you know, a, 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 an assistant coach that came out of a, another prominent, you know, that was under another prominent head coach, uh, they kind of equate the two and you have to be wary of that. Um, but yeah, I just don't know enough about him. I, I think it's super interesting that they go in a different direction, um, knowing you know the ownership there and how you know badly he wants to win. Uh, I'm surprised that he didn't go for like a more prominent name. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting. I just don't know enough about him. Um, I do want to mention that two episodes ago, I did I didn't really call Houston hiring Steven Silas, but I said that it would be like the best possible outcome if they did. Um. I don't know, like, Steven Silas is kind of, like, the prime example of a guy who 
like personally, I can't believe that he hasn't had a head coaching opportunity yet because I think he's been an assistant for like 20 years now. I mean, his dad is Paul Silas, like, you know, one of the better coaches um, back then. Um, he was an assistant like under Don Nelson with the Warriors. So that was 2005. Um, I think he was with the Hornets for eight years and then with Rick Carlisle the last years. But I think he's a really, really, really good offensive mind. Like not someone who's like really stubborn to like an ideology, but someone who just knows how to work with um, what what personnel he has, kind of like Carlisle. Um, and honestly, like this is perfect for Houston because even though they don't have Maury anymore, I think you have to have someone who infuses like creativity, like maybe not someone as like crazy as what Daryl Morey was doing, but I think Steven Silas will continue the kind of contention trend for Houston because I don't think they're in a place where they can rebuild and you bring in a coach who bring like who infuses kind of like a new energy, like not some, you know, old head, like not a Jeff Van Gundy who is, is going to be like someone you know, but is probably going to be like boring, right? This is like something new and I think Houston really needed it. So my immediate question is, right, we've seen this style of play from Houston for a long time, heliocentric, James Harden dribbling the ball for the vast majority of the offense. My question to you all is, do you think that we see a continuation of this offense or something different now that Silas is on board? And, and that That's where I feel like you get in dangerous water because, I, I mean, how are you going to tell as a new head coach, and I don't know his prior basketball experience, but assuming that I didn't know his name too well, that he didn't play in the NBA or wasn't, you know, a prominent basketball player. It, it, you know, I guess I, I may be wrong, but I, I, I feel like it's going to be hard for James Harden to kind of take a step back. It's um, never been hard for James Harden to take a step back. No. <laughs> that's, that's never been the case. Well, okay, take a step back and evaluate, you know, his own situation, his own success. Because although, you know, we like, I, I like, you know, to criticize James Harden for his lack of success at the highest level. I mean, there's no denying that bro hasn't been, you know, one of the biggest success stories ever since he arrived in Houston with, you know, the multiple MVP mentions, uh, you know, he's the, he's the only guy uh, uh, ever since he got traded to the Rockets, you know, to lead his team and not miss the playoffs you know, one year, and that's just insane. So I don't know if you want to change that too much and already upset the locker room, because if you lose, you know, six out of the first 10 games playing your style, James Harden is going to undermine you and start playing hero ball, you know, air quotes, um, and start winning games that way, and stuff can just lead to bad things. So I don't know if you want to make your imprint immediately, especially if you're not, you know, you know, like a former head coach. And yes, Eddie, you know, mentioned his past, you know, experience, but I don't know. That that's a dangerous road to go down, I feel like. I think the idea that James Harden only knows how to play like ISO ball, like ball dominant, heliocentric, like I don't think that's really true. It's not that he only knows that, it's that he'll only want to play that because he's played that and he's had the most success in that. But like, I mean, he's had the most success, true, but I don't think that that's the style that he wants to play. I mean, not that he wants to, but you had um, Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni kind of hammering and in him, basically saying like, this is, you know, mathematically, right? Like this is the most successful way for our team to succeed. 
But um, when Kevin McHale was coaching there, you saw James Harden cook a lot more in the mid-range and do a lot more creative stuff like that. I mean, you even saw him play more off-ball um, when they had, like, another point guard, even when they had, like, Ty Lawson with them. I think with um, whatever personnel moves they make, though, that Steven Silas will warp his offense around that, and that includes getting, like, some semblance of size in a traditional center. Maybe that includes having guys that are not just, like, 3 and D, you know, around James Harden. But... Honestly, um, with the way the Mavs were working in Dallas, where yes, like Luca was very ball dominant, but you also had off ball actions. You also had a little bit more, you know, creativity than just ISO or pick and roll. Like you're going to see some interesting stuff. And I don't even think James Harden will oppose it because it's not like he's been a guy who's like been super adamant about playing ISO ball before. It's that Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni said like, please, you know, play like that. I think the Rockets' biggest issue is not only, you know, getting James Harden to play off ball more, but it's for him to be off ball and have off ball movement. When he doesn't have the ball, bro is just standing either in the corner or, you know, on the wing doing nothing. But, like, remember, like, when it became, like, a big deal when the Jeff Green-James Harden pick and roll, like, worked for them, like, this season where James Harden was a screener and Jeff Green was a ball handler? Like, Harden actually bought into that idea. Like, he wasn't even setting good screens, but just the mere idea of him doing something without the ball in his hands. Like, he was, you know, clearly showing some sort of semblance of effort from it. And honestly, I believe that Steven Silas is a guy, I mean, he, he's been, by all, like, reports, been super well-respected wherever he's been as an assistant. I think he'll command the respect of who he has um, personnel-wise in that locker room. And that if James Harden has to, you know run around a little bit more than he used to, like, I, I think he'll buy into it. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I think it's important to mention, um, this is kind of not groundbreaking, but it, it means something to see a, a black head coach get hired that wasn't a former player. And granted, he spent, what, 18 years as an assistant, so that's a long-ass time. But rarely do you see minority coaches that came up not as players, specifically black coaches. It seems like the only voices that we respect um, tend to be black former players and not just black people who know basketball. Um, so I think it's interesting that to see, you know, even though it took him a long time to get there, that he did eventually get there. That's pretty cool to see. But it'll be also very interesting to see what happens with James Harden in the future. Talk about him playing off ball. I remember when we did our draft, you guys shit on me for saying he could be off ball Harden. But <laughs> apparently, um, I, I guess we'll see how it works now. He can't be a spot up shooter, that's for sure. We saw that in the All-Star game. But let's go ahead and keep it pushing to... Um, this uh, this stuff with the NBA and how it's going to look for the start of next season, whether that happens this in December, whether that happens in January, sometimes I've been hearing just about everything and when it's going to start. Um, but apparently the NBA wants to start in December, which is a pretty quick turnaround. Danny Green went on somebody's podcast. I forget who it was, but he went on a podcast and said, I'd be surprised if LeBron played the first month of the season if they started it that early. So Evidently, we're hearing rumors of guys not wanting to come back this early, specifically the guys who made it in the later parts of the season this past season. So what do you guys think? Is this going to be something that the league has to look out for if they're going to start this early? Or is that all just a hodgepodge? So to I, speak? Feel like, I feel like the league is ultimately going to, I don't want to say bow down to its players, but I mean, that I feel like that's what usually happens in the NBA. And sometimes, you know, it's for good reasons. Sometimes it's you know, for not good reasons. Um, but especially if LeBron is leading the charge on this, they're not going to play in December, I feel like. And 
you know, we were speaking on, you know, on it last episode, you know, kind of the more details, what, you know, that, that would entail because a December 22nd start date training camp and reporting to, you know, all that would start immediately, you know, after the draft or maybe even, you know, before it, because players need about six to eight weeks to, you know, start getting in training camp, you know, conditioning wise and all that. And that's not even including, you know, preseason games and, and, you know, leading up to all that. So I can understand where the players are coming from, you know, especially, you know, the ones that Reagan mentioned, the ones that, you know, played later into the season. But again, expect your salary cap to go down. And, you know, that's going to be a huge deal because with this year, you know, some saying it's going to go down, some saying it's going to stay the same. So, I mean, if you guys are cool as a players, you know, association losing 500, 600 million, you know, whether you're okay with sacrificing, you know, financials or sacrificing your body more, I mean, it, it is up to you, but just know that, you know, you might lose even more revenue because not only, you know, would you not be on schedule and all that, and you wouldn't be getting the Christmas day revenue, but you're going into the Olympics. Mm. And I'm not sure that's something you want to do. You saw this year, you know, when the tail end of the season went into the NFL season and went to some college football stuff. It went, you know, with some of the election stuff. It's hot right now. So. I'm not sure that's something you want to do. Uh, I feel like as a player, you just suck it up, get this year over with, and you're back on schedule. Not uh, to mention, you want to play in the Olympics, right? I mean, that helps these guys' legacies when they talk about basketball Hall of Fame and all of that. That all is taken into account. Um, yeah. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think it'll end up being a situation where they do start in December, but they start under the idea that, okay, certain players are not going to be playing, and certain players are probably going to play once a week, perhaps, um, trying to get themselves right. So it might be like a weird season again. That's ugly. Though. It's ugly. That's- it's ugly, but, you know, like you said, I don't think anyone's going to want to be uh, suffering from a salary cap standpoint, and no one's going to be trying to mess with their bag, especially when we talk about, like, the lower-tier players in the NBA who don't make as much money. They're not going to want to go from a, a, what is it, $300,000 minimum contract to 200000 Like, that's a substantial but, portion of your money. But, it, but if your goal is to, you know, not lose that money – LeBron not playing in the first month, you you'd be losing money there. You not know? as much, but yeah, you'd still lose. You'd still, I mean, there's no way around this that like helps everybody. But Eddie, I want I want you to go ahead and jump in. Well, I mean, thoughts on it. You bring up, you know, if LeBron doesn't play, and I forget if it was Waj or Shams, but one of them reported that there was a faction of players who who are who's pushing for an MLK Day start, and they didn't name who's leading the faction, Shams. but I feel like we all kind of know who's probably leading that faction right and that's the thing with me is that like you know again the lakers the heat right the raptors celtics like those teams they played late into the season but most teams haven't had basketball action for so long that it's been basically a normal off season for them it's incumbent on the league i think and and normally i think the you know players make the right decisions they should be more or less you know have more influence on the league's direction but in this case the league can't be strong-armed by one player or one team or two teams threatening to essentially, you know, take a month off, whatever you yeah. want to call it, load manage. It's just, you know, like, it's just not, um, it's not a good look on the league, I think. And also, it just doesn't make sense to prioritize the needs of one or two teams over, you know, 20 or 29. 
and it'd be different to your point. It'd be different uh, if every single team ended on whenever the season ended, they ended a play, you know, but only four teams, you know, went deep into the, you know, NBA playoffs into the season. And here's the other thing that I feel like we're forgetting. I, I understand the, the bubble was, you know, tough for some guys, but you got, you know, body wise, physical, you know, physically, you got four months off or however much it was. And let's not discredit that and how important that was to guys like LeBron, you know, other guys who may have needed, you know, rest during that time to gear up for the playoffs. So that's substantial. That's substantial. So let, let's not act like these players played for a year straight because that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the thing to me is that I bet you – more players and not especially like the mid-tier like lower level players want to start on christmas there might be you know some more star players that want to start later but again you know we we see how the power dynamics play out even within the player ranks and you know there tends to be a a very big power grab by the stars in the league you have to do what what's better for you know the nba as a whole again to eddie's point Mm -hmm. not just for lebron or the lakers or you know Miami and and we saw the report that just came out that like total revenues just only dropped by about like I think 10% even with the stoppage you know and the bubble conditions which obviously 10% is substantial we're talking about billions but in the grand scheme of things you know like you disrupt the entire timing of your normal like schedule you know you lose fans you lose the uh the attendance revenue but you know the NBA in total is only down 10% which means that it's like viable which means that if you do have a 72 game season that starts, you know, around Christmas, you'll probably not, you know, as a player body, like not lose out on that much money. And that's something where you don't want to jeopardize it if you're the players by going later into the season, you know, by um, competing with kind of like a, a, a summer audience when when you know, most people in the summer aren't geared to like watch basketball. It's just, um, I don't know, I think it's it's one of those things where the NBA, I think, is working well on trying to start around Christmas and that I think that they'd have all the right steps in place and that it would be really kind of thrown out of whack if certain players strong armed them into pushing it later. Then they have to think about the scheduling for like next season, you know, whether they want to revert it back to normal, like and all this and all that. I do think there's a compromise to be had in maybe it's not December, but I think January at the latest. I've heard something about wanting to start around MLK Day. That feels fair to me. Give you know, give them a little bit more time than what they've currently had, um, just for the off season to take its natural course, right? My biggest concern with starting on December isn't even, you know, the player rest um, of LeBron James or whoever wants to start later. But it's just, you know, the offseason has things that happen, whether it's rookies getting drafted, free agency, rookie development, training camp. There are things that there, there's ways that this thing has to operate in order for it to be a, a, a fruitful offseason. Right. I mean, and I feel like it gets kind of mushed together to the point where the things get rushed. And then that ultimately hurts the product for the next but season. Like, Think about a normal offseason, though, right? You have the draft period, which is like there's a lot of commotion for like a week. And then it kind of dies down until free agency. And then you have like the, the moratorium. And then like maybe like a couple days after the moratorium where all the deals get reported. And then what? You have like three months of radio silence, right? And in the plan that they're doing right now, it's that the draft is going to be November 18th. Free agency is going to start on Thanksgiving, basically. There's going to be no moratorium. Players are just signed, you know, when they agree to a deal. 
And honestly, like, I don't see a problem with that because the NBA is still going to be constantly in the news cycle. I mean, I'm not even thinking from from a news cycle standpoint, right? Like, the NBA is going to garner a market because it's the NBA. I'm thinking from a timing standpoint and a strategical standpoint of how these front offices need to operate. They need time to conduct these things. They need time to, you know, obviously they've had all the time in the world to scout players, but they need time to plan out their draft strategy and then go into free agency knowing what they just drafted and all these things that kind of have to happen over the course of a but also like season. And they, then once the rookies get in the building, they need time to develop. Teams have had time, but exactly, they have four, they had four extra months like now, and, and it's not like teams aren't already planning for you know every year's off season like years in advance. Right. So like the cap, unless the cap number, which we already know, is not going to dramatically shrink. You know, most people's plans are not shifted that dramatically. And the only thing that's being sacrificed are maybe like vacations for some front office people. And that's about it. But again, that's unimportant in the grand scheme I mean, of things. Perhaps. But when we're talking about December, like that's what a month and a half from now. And when we think about all the things that happen over the course of the NBA offseason, can that can we squish that into a month and a half realistically? I think absolutely. No way. I mean, you're going to thrust these rookies straight into NBA basketball with little to no nothing? I mean, I think that's what that's what the five, six-week preseason is for. Six weeks from now, it's like damn near December 21st. No, no, no. I'm saying that like you have the, the draft, right, November 18th, free agency November 25th. Again, like players are normally signed within a week. So that gives you the month of December as like a preseason. And that gives you about like three to four weeks. I mean, obviously it's not ideal, but um, I don't think it's that much of a crunch. And would you rather have that or throw your entire That's schedule? That's why I say give it a month. Like a, is, a, is a month going to kill you? But a month is a lot. I think a month is a lot because right now the NBA plans to have it go from December to basically about where they would end on a normal season in late June. Right. If you throw it back a month, you either condense the season even shorter to 60 games or you push it to like late July and go into the Olympics. I mean, 60 games, we've all kind of agree like 60 games would be a pretty happy medium for the NBA. Basically, what I'm saying is I just to try I, to squish everything for the sake of playing 72 games. I don't understand why people are hung up on the 72 game number. But it's a, I, I say give them another month and shorten the season even more. That makes the most sense. To I me. feel like people in the NBA have done their due diligence and figured out. Like how 72 games can be like logistically and financially viable. They've talked about doing like two or three game series like baseball style. Like I think they've really done their work and figured all that out. Then it's like, well, what do you do? Do you just take a wrecking ball to it? Because, you know, a, a few heads here and there like want a little bit more rest. Like I get it, but it's just in these I mean, circumstances, yeah. I don't think you can you can't give that much. What if the player players association negotiates? Okay, not seventy two, but we'll take sixty four, and we'll start December twenty second. That feels we'll perfect. Or December twenty second, you said. Yeah, and we'll just spread out, you know, uh, times between games, so we, you know, alleviate the schedule a little bit more. Again, um, I'm I'm not even I looking at it from a rest standpoint though. Like my biggest concern is just the 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 off season's course, right? Like the, obviously that would be cool with the players probably, and that feels like a happy median. But I, I'm thinking about front offices and how they operate, and to try to squish all of that into a month and a half when we really haven't even approached the thing all the way yet, it just doesn't feel realistic. I, basically, what I'm saying is we I would feel like we'd see a lot of mistakes because of how rushed things would be, and teams wouldn't have time to sit back and really make their decisions like they normally would. Um, it would be interesting. Teams got to adapt. I mean, teams would have to adapt. I'm just saying it would be. A, it would, I think we'd see an ugly off season. We talk about ugly basketball. I think we'd see ugly front office work. I mean, yeah, you you either sign Luol Deng, 
you know, contracts. And we would see some Luau Deng contract. Yeah. So, uh, hope and Adam Silver, if you're listening, please take off that Luau Deng, uh, you know, contract thing. Much obliged. Um, Much obliged. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but For yeah, basketball I, I feel like that that's on the front office people and GMs to, you know, figure their way through the mud, you know. Speaking like, of front office and adapting, um, let's talk about Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey just signed a five-year deal or is expected to sign a five-year deal this weekend with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, obviously, Morey Ball, analytics, three points and layups. Everybody knows the story. Um, what do you think this guy's means for the seven? What do you guys think this means for the 76ers, for the process, for Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, for Doc Rivers? There's a lot of angles to take here. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? I mean, everybody you know, on Twitter and Instagram, you know, just saying that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going to get traded immediately. Um, I, I think, I think a Daryl Morey's, you know, just initial outlook and, and perspective on basketball is much broader than playing, you know, all six four, six five, six six, six seven guys on the floor um, and making you know PJ Tucker your center. I, I think his basketball obviously is acumen and perspective initially is already broader than that but I also feel like you know his experience in Houston has also even broadened it further Mm. um so I I don't think it's automatically going to mean that uh Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are out of there but is it a strong possibility uh based on his track history and what he prefers I feel like it is but I feel like it can also be it can also cause some tension between how Doc Rivers more of a I feel like he's more of an old school type coach, um, so I'm I'm curious to see their relationship and how they kind of you know what their outlook is at, for the future of the 76ers. But um, I don't know why, but I can see a James Harden trade to the Sixers. I had said um, the same thing to Eddie earlier. I, I could very much see James Harden. I could see things going sour in Houston. And I'll give you this idea after I say this. I can see it going sour in Houston, and I can see Joel Embiid being the guy that gets traded to Houston for, uh, obviously, there would be other pieces than that. But basically, a Joel Embiid-James Harden swap. I could see that. And here's my thing with that. So I've been trying to figure out, ever since Daryl Morey got you know hired as you know head of basketball operations for the Sixers, I've been trying to figure out who he would like to keep more uh, on his team, which player he likes more. And people would automatically assume it's Ben Simmons, I feel like, or maybe Joel Embiid. But Joel Embiid, obviously, he's a seven-footer. And obviously, people link Daryl Morey to not liking big men. But they also link him to you know not liking guys who can't shoot like Ben Simmons. So I've been trying to figure out if he had to trade one of those pieces and hang on to you know the other – I'm wondering which one he prefers. Hold that thought. We'll get to it. Eddie, I want to get your thoughts on... um. First off, like I don't understand what the Sixers are doing. And they've been a mess ever since this new ownership had, you know, came in in 2011. Like They hired Sam Hinkie. You know, he was doing his process thing and then fired him before he could even see it through. We, all, we obviously know what happened to Colangelo and the whole you know Twitter burner accounts and everything. Um, and then... Who's a GM after that? I think Brett Brown was it for a year. I mean, he was a coach and GM that never works out. Elton Brand got hired. He's still there. So again, you have a guy who fired Brett Brown, 
said that the team went wrong because they relied too much on analytics and they that they have to focus more on quote unquote basketball people. Then when Daryl Morey gets fired, they're immediately like jumping on the phone with him to try to hire him, even though apparently they again quote unquote hate um, analytics people. So I don't I have no idea what the Sixers are doing. I don't even know why Daryl Morey agreed to the job in the terms as it is because he has to work with Elton Brand, and honestly the Sixers are better off just you know firing Elton Brand or reassigning him to a much lesser role like what what exactly are the power dynamics there and even within the power dynamics of Elton Brand and Daryl Morey we still don't know because apparently they have like a minority owner who loves to meddle in basketball operations and make decisions for himself so again like the whole leadership structure is a gigantic mess and that again like I obviously think Daryl Morey is a great guy but it's just surprising to me that he jumped to this offer as quickly as he did as you know messy as the outlook kind of looks there in philadelphia but at the same time i feel like you could argue that philly has the best kind of collection of talent and assets out of anyone in the league mm. right i mean i mean you, you have everyone knows simmons and nb those are two young superstars but then you have a young really good player in richardson you still have um tobias harris I mean, people like Shake Milton, people obviously love Thibault and his defense. They have a bunch of, you know, seconds and they have a bunch of, I don't, I don't know how many firsts they have, but I mean, they've collected all these assets from the process era. And I think what Daryl Morey wants to do is to try to whip something up there. Yes. But um, I don't know. Do we want to get into the Embiid Simmons stuff? Yeah. Before we do that, I do want to say that it might not make sense to you, but when we look at what the 76ers have just done throughout this entire process, it makes perfect sense. And it's almost poetic because we've seen what essentially amounts to a collection of talent kind of haphazardly thrown together on the court. Now we're seeing that kind of how things operate off the court as well. Who was the best head coach to hit the market this offseason? Doc Rivers. Who was the best front office guy to hit the market this offseason? Daryl Moore. They're just going and getting the best guys and hoping it works, which so it kind of makes sense. But it doesn't work when you're talking about team direction. I'm not saying it works, but that's the the 76ers kind of mojo. That's what they've done in the past on the court, and now it's bleeding off the court as well. It'll be interesting to see if there is a guy who steps up and and kind of takes control and says, okay, let's do this thing strategically now. Um, And I think that Maury could be the guy to do it, but I I think it makes perfect sense, just given the history of the 76ers. And also for Maury, uh, you know, a lot of GMs have reflected. I've seen a lot of interviews where a lot of GMs reflect on just how grueling and just how tiresome GM role is. And I feel like, you know, obviously Maury's going to have a lot of on his hands uh, as director of basketball operations, but it's going to be less of a, you know, day-to-day, you know, scouting role and, and, you know, all the stuff that, you know, requires uh, that that's what's required of a GM. But, you know, on your Elton brand thing uh, that I forgot to mention, I feel like he, he's going to be fired mm. and, you know, cause he's not Daryl Morey's guy. Uh, he obviously hasn't had the most success, Obviously, if they have success this season, he won't be fired. But I feel like I feel like under under Daryl Morey, they can try it out just like every other team. They can try it out one year, and they're you know they're gonna fire people. But like we don't even know if he's under Daryl Morey in the leadership structure. Like by all means, the I mean, owners. He's not, that's what I'm saying. General like, manager. The owners might think that you know they want Morey and him to like work together, quote unquote. You know, have like one of those yin yang things. 
But I feel like Maury wouldn't sign up if he didn't have, you know, that power. That's what I'm saying, which is it it doesn't look clear to me that Maury has 100% autonomy on basketball decisions. And and, uh, to your point, which you actually answered your own question, uh, why would Maury take this job even if they're not, you know, all all the talent and all the pieces don't fit together and mesh together well? It's because they have an abundance of talent and pieces that he can work with. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, move and just tailor the roster to how it should be in his view. Uh, and I feel like you don't get that situation anywhere else around the league. You just don't. No. You, just, you, you either have a team that has that much talent and, they, you know, they've been successful, like, you know, the Celtics this past season uh, who got far into the playoffs, or you get just a bad team and you're trying to rebuild. You don't really get – a team that was kind of middle of the road, a disappointing team, but that that has an abundance of talent. And I feel like that's where he wanted to capitalize. It's almost like playing my league on 2K, right? Where you get to start touring around with the trade finder. Um, it seems like Daryl Morey is about to have the perfect my league toy to play with. But let's talk about what you brought up earlier, Julio. Um, and I want to emphasize, let's go into the mind of Daryl Morey here. Let's not insert our own opinions. We can do that later. But... What do we think Daryl Morey does in terms of the fit between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons? Does he trade Simmons? Does he trade Embiid? Does he try to make it work between the two of them and put other pieces around? I need predictions on what you think Daryl Morey does there. Knowing Daryl Morey, I feel like he's going to move one, not both, uh, just to try to get a, a haul of assets. And obviously, I've said in the past that you're going to get more from if you trade away Joel Embiid, but... I just I, I don't know which player he prefers to keep because on the one hand, uh, you, you know Ben Simmons can be utilized so well if if he's you know used right by a coach. I've said this before. He's a souped up you know super souped up Draymond Green, and he can he can be he can play that role and, and play it even better than Draymond Green did. Um, but you know on the other hand, he can't shoot, and when you go to Joel Embiid. He obviously he can he can shoot uh, well for you know a seven foot you know guy like, like he is, but he just gets hurt a lot. He's not the best you know franchise leader and all that. So again, if I'm Daryl Morey, I trade away Embiid, but I'm I'm leaning towards uh, uh, Daryl Morey preferring Ben Simmons mm. because uh, uh, just of you know just how how diverse you can make your offense with Ben Simmons. He's like, he's like that Swiss army knife that he can just, I feel like he's been used so wrong and there's just so many things that you can unlock, especially on the offensive side of things with Ben Simmons. So you think he trades or keeps Ben Simmons? I think I missed that. He keeps. He keeps. Okay. So away with Embiid for Julio. What do you think, Eddie? If you look at Daryl Morey's history, he's always collected assets in terms of like draft capital and like kind of margin players by swapping like super, super, super minimal moves. Like the 13th guy on your roster, you know, you flip something for like a 12th guy and you flip like a 12th guy for like an 11th guy. So like when you talk about draft picks and things like that, he's always acquired that kind of stuff through marginal moves so if he has like a salary slot open he'll try to fill it and get a pick stuff like that you rarely see him trade a superstar for picks um so where i'm going with that is that 
Simmons and Embiid are the is the best young like duo in the league right now. I think more than Tatum and Brown. More like Simmons and Embiid are two bona fide young superstars. Like period, right? Like those are two transcendent talents. And Daryl Morey's not gonna trade them unless two things happen. One of them is that they just become unhappy and they ask for a trade out, which then you know you strong arm yourself to have to trade them. Or two, they he gets someone back of greater value for him in terms of a player and in terms of like age. So unless someone wants to offer like Devin Booker, you know, for one of these guys, like I don't see it. I don't see him trading any of these um, Simmons or Embiid. And Reagan's gonna laugh at me, but <laughs> I mean, you don't think you can get back a a wing or shooting guard <laughs> like Bradley Beal or Zach Levine? <laughs> this guy. Sisters, us more if you trade away Joel Embiid. But, I mean, Bradley, like, Bradley Beal is not bad. But, again, it's, like, it's Joel Embiid who's still, like, what, 26? I mean, that I guess that's not, like, crazy young. He might not even be 26 yet. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, Embiid, Simmons has so much value in their age and upside that, like, you better be getting a young superstar who fills a different positional need and like another role player, Bradley Beal, like, Thomas Bryant, and uh, shoot, I don't have the roster in front of me, but another player from the Wizards that's useful. Like you better get like Troy Brown and like three first rounders. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. For, for, yeah. And the thing is, like, I bet you Washington's. I mean, Washington's not dealing Bradley Beal, obviously, but they wouldn't agree to that Joel deal. Embiid, I feel like they would though. I don't. I don't think anyone around the league is going to give Daryl Morey what he values in these young superstars. Because cause that is the most valuable thing to Daryl Morey. Cost-controlled, like, transcendent talent, you know, fills, like, extremely niche roles. Like, those are the three things Daryl Morey loves. He's already dealt with a, a, a nonsense, you know, clown center, Dwight Howard. I don't feel like he wants to deal Except with Dwight him. Howard wasn't good like Joel Embiid is now. But he's not he's never on the court. That, when he I, is, I mean so, he, mm. he's up and down. And, okay, but not Bradley Beal. Let's say it's Zach Levine. You don't think you could get Zach Levine, Laurie Markinen, and But that's not good enough. For Joel Embiid? No, that's and, not. And Wendell Carter? No, Let's that, say those three. no, that's still not good enough. That's definitely I'd good enough. I'd much rather have the Bulls players. Yeah. I'd much rather have the Bulls players. I, you can't, I agree with you, Julio, I mean, that Joel Embiid is likely the piece to go. Just because you can do more. And I think Daryl Moore is a guy who values offensive versatility. Joel Embiid, it almost seems poetic that he would be the piece to go to culminate the process. But when you when you trade him, I feel like it has to be to a team that's desperate. Right, that's that's a team who just needs a guy and is willing to do what it takes to get a guy because they know they won't be able to pull a guy like Joel Embiid through the draft or or through free agency. The Pacers, perhaps, but I still don't think the Pacers would send the bag away. Oladipo, Miles Turner, and they're not giving up all that. I think for Embiid, I feel like they would though. I mean, I mean, you're going to say more pieces. He's already logged down with with his contract extension, so it's not like he's going to be one year now. I mean, again, Daryl Morey probably wants someone who's cost controlled and young, and then has like top ten NBA player upside, right? So you're only looking at like, I mean, Jason Tatum's not going anywhere. Um, 
unless you're looking at Bam Adebayo, but does he even have like superstar upside? Like, I don't know. You know, then we start talking about Devin Booker again. Um, I mean, I don't know, like Trey Young's not going anywhere. Luka's not going anywhere. It's like, again, like you need someone that special to replace what you're giving up, which is again, another young superstar. Unless you're getting other things with that person, yeah. Right? Unless you're yeah. getting a- additional assets, but with, like, which I think not, you could. I don't be think that's how that works, though. In Daryl Morey's mind, because again, you can't replace. Like, the more talented you are, the more irreplaceable it is, right? Like, you can't replace one superstar talent with like four good players and call it equal. There's just nothing that makes it commensurate. So it, it's like saying like you can't replace a LeBron James with like four. Um, with with four Andrew Wiggins, right? It's like that's not. Yeah, but that's Andrew not. Wiggins is like a C player. What if you have a B plus player and more B minus players? I mean, even if you had four, I mean, I'm like Jimmy Butler's. That still doesn't replace a LeBron James to me. Whoa. I'm I, I'm just I'm pondering right now. I'm I'm dredging I feel like through. There are plenty of teams who are at risk of losing their. Star wings, guards, whatever. Again, Swartz. unless unless Simmons or Embiid drop signs that they're unhappy and they want out, Daryl Morey has never traded away players like that. You know, in that position, it just he's never done it because again, like those are the most valuable pieces in the league. I wonder. And remember, he did trade Chris Paul. He did trade Chris Paul as long as he got Russell Westbrook in return. And Chris Paul also wanted out, and he was also thirty-four years old. So. I'm just toying around with things here. Say Washington crashes and burns next year. They're not as good as they'd hoped they would be. They're not even contending for a playoff spot. If you're Daryl Morey, and if you're Washington, and Washington intends to blow it up, would you accept both John Wall and Bradley Beal in exchange for Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, and probably you'd need more cap there? Oh, I don't want John Wall. You got to get John Wall. You got to get John Wall with it too. No, because I mean, from what I'm saying, said, from the Wizards' standpoint, I'm trying to release all the cap that I can. Excuse me. But, um, I, you're getting my John Wall contract. But what, what, from Eddie, what Eddie said, I mean, Joel Embiid is more valued, has more talent than Bradley Beal. So if anything, you know, I should get more because I, I value Bradley Beal more, but apparently people in the NBA value Joel Embiid more. It's going to be interesting because what I feel like that team is missing right now is perimeter creation. And I think that's what Daryl Morey understands. I think that's what um, Doc Rivers is going to understand very quickly. Um, And that's what's ultimately going to be the thing that budges um, Daryl Morey to the point of feeling like he has to deal one of Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons to get a young guy who can create on the perimeter. Um, And even though you might lose value what it's bringing to your basketball team ultimately, ultimately gives you a plus on the court because you weren't able to get over the hump, even though that these two pieces individually hold A plus value, right? Maybe I get a A minus value so long as it gives me an A plus product on the court. I think that's ultimately going to be the important thing because we've seen Daryl Morey make moves for the benefit of fit rather than the benefit of superstars. When you look at that Clint Capella trade in terms of value, you didn't get as much value as Clint Capella holds around the league in return, but mm, you got a better fit. I don't know about that. He, I mean, he got... Covington and a pickback for Capella. That's you'd rather have Covington and a pick than Capella. I, oh, I, well, absolutely. If you're, if you're Houston and play basketball the way Houston did, well, no, no. But here's here's the thing: why you make that trade? Because and, and this is going to go back to our episode where we were yelling, <laughs> kicking, and screaming at each other about bigs. 
But if you, if I'd rather have a Covington and who else? What, what else did they get? The pick. It was a. I'd rather have Covington and a pick, and say a uh, Javale McGee. But you don't have Javale McGee. Remember, they didn't have a Javale McGee. Those, you can sign those. But guys. The, here's my point: is that Daryl Morey made that move knowing full well he didn't have a center to go in and replace Clint Capella, and that he was That's willing to run with PJ Tucker. So my point That's is that Daryl Morey is going to be willing to make moves, sacrificing certain pieces. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't sacrifice anything. He did. If anything, I mean, he sacrificed size. If yeah, for a better player in Robert Covington. If anything, it was a horizontal deal in terms of like value, right? Again, he he doesn't just bomb away his team. And I mean, the, I mean, the I thing, mean, trading Joel Embiid for say you go with the Levine route and you get Levine and you get um, who else did you say, Julio? Uh, Wendell. Levine, Lori Markinen, and. Did you? Bu- I mean, if Eddie doesn't think that's enough, plus like other you know supplemental guys, you throw in Wendell Carter. I mean, is that bombing Joel Embiid away? I oh, if I'm the Sixers, I, think, I take that and I run. I think I, I think I think if Joel Embiid wants out and that's the deal you get, then obviously you're extremely no, happy no, about I it. I take that whether he wants out or not. N- n- no, you, ha- you have to know the the. the well, here's the, the thing. I, I bet you that Daryl Morey believes that he can make Simmons and Embiid work. Like, there's, there's well, nothing... Well, let's not talk about Daryl Morey like he's a coach. He's not a coach. Yeah, but, like, yeah, what is he going to do? I mean, when he was in Houston, he he told, like, he hired D'Antoni for the sole reason that he envisioned James Harden in a but role. But he didn't hire Doc Rivers. <laughs> he didn't, but it's like, okay, this is me assuming that he actually can do what he wants to do with the Sixers. Otherwise, like, why even talk about Maury and why the hell is? But Maury what what there? I'm saying is like, regardless of like, if he if no one else has made well, like, what iteration of Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have we not seen yet? Like, well, oh, what else oh, can you we, do to make them work? We have not seen them with a primary ball handler, which brings me to my next point that I bet you he's going to go out and get Chris Paul, which is what with I think what? is going to happen. I mean, you, you have Richardson, you have picks again. I mean, obviously, like, Harris and Horford are negative contracts now. But, like, I mean, you still have young people. Like, you have Thibault. Like, you don't, You're you don't about to give Josh Richardson and Matisse Thibault in picks to the Thunder for Chris Paul? The Thunder can get better than that. Way better. If I'm the, th- if I'm the Thunder, I'm telling you to kiss my black thunder, ass. I, I, mean, I mean, like, get what? Kyle Kuzma? Thunder, <laughs> like, no, if I'm the Thunder, I go to Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yeah. And get, I, I get, get Chris Middleton. No, they're not. They're not giving me up. Chris. Even Middleton. if you don't give me Chris Middleton, there's like still Bledsoe? better to be had. I, like I can I, go I, get DiVincenzo. I, I can go. I, yeah, DiVincenzo, Bledsoe, and you know a, a single pick stuff. probably. So I mean, you have that, or you have Richardson. Um, you know, Thibel and a pick. I mean, and again, you like the six. The Sixers can throw the multiple first in a bunch of seconds or whatever. There's no way that you can get Chris Paul without giving up one of Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. It's. I mean, we're still talking about like. Chris Paul barely recuperated his contract value. Like last year, maybe, but we saw the way he played this year. I mean, mm. yeah, I mean, Joel, that's an All NBA player. No, 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 that is. But I'm saying like that's still an aging guy on a on a max deal with a couple years going into let's, like his let's age not, 30. Let, I mean, we can run all the semantics of how old he is and how it's much like money all, he's making, but he's a fucking good basketball. But like player. all reports have shown that teams are not giving up like the entire bag. For you ain't got to give Paul. up the entire bag, but I'm not taking scraps. Matisse Thibel couldn't even get playoff run this year until they were desperate. Because he's also like twenty two. Like that that's an upside. 
I mean, again, the Thunder would love Matisse Thybulle. If we know their history, like, they love guys who can't shoot and defend like Would crazy. they love it in giving up Chris Paul, though? Come on. Now. I mean, let's and, be realistic I mean, about it. and you get Josh Richardson, which to me is a, you know, better player, Julio, younger player than Bledsoe. No, I get way more value by going to other teams and dangling Chris Paul to teams like the Clippers, the Bucks, and the Lakers because they're desperate for going to win a championship and they think that Chris Paul is going to get them over the hump. So they're willing to sacrifice young guys. Uh, I mean, I know, I know the Lakers and Clippers can't match. I mean, you know, I would have rather not give. trade Chris Paul. I, I'd just run with him if that were the case and that was the best stuff I was getting. But the value he's bringing to my franchise and the development of my young guards. But Chris Paul, like, like that, damn near sounded like he said a farewell letter after, you know, the, the Thunder were eliminated. I think everyone knows what's going on with the Thunder. Like, he's not, he's not staying there after this year. Like, he doesn't want to. And the Thunder are not going to force him so to stay in So you think Oklahoma Josh City. Richardson no, and Matisse Thibault and the picks are going to be enough? Tobias I mean, okay. I mean, Tobias Harris has a negative value contract, but sure. Like, I mean, Tobias it's still Harris. not enough. The, the, there's no way. The, 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 the Philadelphia 76ers, again, are you, I mean, there's you're no way they what? can trade for you're Chris t- Paul without one of Joel Embiid. You're telling me Chris Paul is worth... Simmons or Embiid at this no, point. No, but what I'm saying is you have a lopsided ass roster with two really good value contracts and then straight terrible value contracts. And then no, I mean, no, Josh part- Richardson is is still a damn good value around the league. Like we act like, I mean, guys like again Matisse Thybulle isn't guys. I mean, that put the yourself in Sam Presti's covered. position. Are you taking that? You're not getting much better. I'm sorry, you're not getting much better. And that's God, not that's no. not me. That's that's hearing what people have been saying around the league that. Just one year ago, you'd have to attach two firsts to get rid of Chris Paul's contract. He's played well enough That's where, you can, a year get ago, a, where you can get a first That back was a year ago, and then he came out and played his ass off this year. Yes, and you can and that, get— like a, so, we, so you don't have to attach two firsts for him. You can get an actual like first back for him and like a young— t- which is a crazy turnaround for a guy who's like 36. That's a crazy turnaround, but like he's fucking hooping. Like That's a championship-caliber player. You go put him on your team that instantly raises the ceiling and the floor of your team. That's not a guy that you're going to be able to give up scraps for. There's no way in hell. You, you can't like, convince me. You act like Richardson, Thibel, and two, you know, future firsts are scraps. Josh future Richardson. Later, later in the, later in the. We act like Josh Richardson wasn't. He's a not prime a scrub, trade, trade but like Josh Richardson is not a, any like anywhere near the caliber of player that you would have to trade for Chris Paul. But like, like, what do you think you get for need, Chris Paul? I don't Paul? need more players like that. If I have uh, Lou Dort, Darius Baisley, and <laughs> but Sam Presti loves those players. I need like, young players with high upside. I don't like. I we know who Josh Richardson is, and like we know think, who Matisse Thybulle is going to be. Like, who, what do you think Chris Paul fetches you? Like a top first rounder. Like a future superstar or star? I think, I think teams would be able to give that up. If not, I mean, definitely I think you can get a lottery pick, and I can get think you can get a young player with high upside easily. Like like, like who? I mean, shit, let me think about it, but better than Matisse Thibault. Like, that's the type of deal if I'm in the GM seat, not even knowing what other teams are going to offer me, I'm hanging up the phone on you. There's no way in hell I'm dealing Chris Paul. I mean, that. I think you're really, really overstating Chris Paul's value, and not, and not, not even from me. That's from what I'm just. I mean, seeing, who, I who's saying this? Like, there's been. Re- I mean, we. There's been already hypotheticals thrown out about Chris Paul around. From I mean, okay, okay. This trade package, I think the Nuggets would go for. If if, if the Nuggets gave up, uh, don't uh, say Jamal Will Murray. Barton, Will Will Barton, Gary Harris, and their protected uh, 2021 first round pick. I think that's a better package than what you just said with the Sixers. With Richardson, Thibel, and like two futures. 
I, I mean, I, that, I, that, maybe, but I'm not saying like it's not like the Nuggets gave up Jamal Murray when we talk about a young player with dramatically superstar upside. Like you're not getting that for an aging Chris Paul who still has injury concerns, who is damn good, but like damn, like you're paying him forty five million dollars at age thirty seven. Like, come on. So I, I would, you know, Goran Dragic and in in like fucking Kendrick Nunn, I'd rather that than what you just offered me. There's no way. There's no way that that deal goes down. Over over Richardson and Thibel? Yes. A hundred percent. At least I know I'm getting like a, a damn good guard and then another player with high upside in Kendrick Nunn. Like you're giving me two guys who at best are going to be I mean three and D wings. Obviously I know like Goran's not gonna be there, but like Nah, you're kidding. Like, Kendrick Nunn over Josh I need Richardson. to know who these people are that are saying Chris Paul's worth nothing around the league. I just I just saw an article saying uh, they, they gave a proposed deal and what the Sixers would give up with Josh Richardson and Al Horford. If I heard that, if I'm the... Kiss Thunder, my I'm laughing. ass. I'm laughing. You're offering me Al Horford? Like, I think, I think, I think Horford and Harris are both negative guys at this point, you know, given, like, the kind of money they're making, which is why... I mean, they can include him to salary match, but I, I don't think it's, it's you know, Daryl Morey wouldn't ha- want to attach extra assets just for the sake of pawning off bad salaries. But throw me um, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, and uh, goddamn some some other, like, young pieces that the Nets have. Jared Allen. Jared, I mean, sure, that's better, and I think the Nets would do that to go compete tomorrow. These are all things, like, then again, obviously you have the guard things. I haven't put much thought to what other deals could happen for Chris Paul specifically. That wasn't what this episode was supposed to be about. But, like, shit, I have to imagine there's better shit out there than what you just offered. Because there's there's no way in hell that a guy like Chris Paul, who showed himself to be, at the very least, a top five point guard in this league still, that knows that, that you know he's going to be able to come in and immediately contribute to winning basketball, that single-handedly almost damn near went from like a that look this led this thunder team that was supposed to be by all accounts a s- sorry scrap ass team this past year now that's a team that's competing in the in the western conference playoffs like there's no way chris paul ha- holds that little value regardless of his contract and regardless of his age basketball is basketball and if you can hoop there's going to be people willing to cough up more than matisse Thibault and josh richardson for you i mean yeah, if you are not like on the decline of your career with crippling injury concerns, maybe crippling injury concerns. I mean, is that false? <laughs> like, it's Chris Paul now. That'll do it for this episode. Yo. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, we, we've kind of. I mean, I don't know. Back, back to the original point, Daryl Morey's not going to trade Simmons and be without trying to compete and win a championship with them first. It's either going to be he realizes it doesn't work, or it's going to be Simmons and Embiid not wanting if, if, it to work. If that's true, that's just stupidity. It be, the the fact that you know uh, GMs and executives value Embiid more than a guy like Bradley Beal, you're you as a GM, you're supposed to capitalize on that that stupidity. In, in my opinion, a guy like Bradley Beal is far more valuable than Embiid. I don't know about that though. Because like, who is doing Bradley what? Like, who is doing what Embiid does around the league? You're talking about he's on the floor. And he does that when he's playing at home, but, you know, in away games, bro, you know, has to rest half the games. But, like, I mean, you're talking about a dude who just two years ago single-handedly almost beat the Raptors, you know? Like, you're talking about a guy who might be the best, I mean, okay, behind Rudy Gobert, like, the best center defender in the league. And then you talk about his offensive upside, like, come on now. I mean, we just got got done saying that, you know, 
uh, your piece that you need, you need a scoring wing. That, that's the piece that you need. And they're going to try. They're going to try and get it. Like not a superstar wing, but they're going to try to get. Like a Tobias Harris. Like not like again. They're going to try to get if not Chris Paul because you know he's a superstar or whatever. Like you're going to try to get, you know, like someone who can create from the perimeter without giving up Simmons and Embiid. And I think I think it's doable because they still have a lot of pieces. They really do. I mean, uh, we can get into that. that. That'll be for another episode. But I think that'll do it for this episode, y'all. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, go check out the Twitter and Instagram at SQR1Hoops for a hoop and holler specific experience at SQR1Media for the all the great things that we do around at Square One Media. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in. We'll see you next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler Podcast.